You are listening to At Any Rate, JP Morgan's global research podcast, where we take a look at the story behind some of the biggest trends and themes in today's fixed income, currencies, and commodities markets. I am Luis Oganes, head of global macro research, and I'm joining this podcast by my colleagues, Johnny Golden, head of uh, EM local markets and sovereign debt strategy, and Nora Santivani, senior global emerging market economist, to discuss the outlook for emerging markets for the second half of the year. We just published our Emerging Markets Outlook and Strategy Report uh, for mid-year, which discussed uh, the key themes that uh, we are tracking for EM for H2. Certainly, it has been a very volatile first half of the year with emerging market assets remaining in, uh, closing in the red. However, with quite a bit of differentiation across countries, uh, which are the themes that we're going to be discussing with both uh, Johnny and Nora. Nora, let's start uh, with you. We, ha- we noticed uh, that uh, when we uh, exclude some countries, namely China and Russia, which for uh, some of the centuries accelerated quite a bit, there was uh, some resilience to speak of for EM, uh, the rest of EM. And uh, despite these variety of shocks that I mentioned, what explained this, uh, this resilience? Do you think that is going to remain in the second half of the year? Yeah, Luis. So the first half of the year has uh, produced a confluence of shocks uh, that have been very outsized that would normally deliver a very huge blow to EM growth, including surging food inflation, energy inflation, sharp contractions in China and Russia, the tightening in global financial conditions. And as you say, EM has weathered these shocks uh, quite well so far. Although overall EM growth is on track for a subpar one and a half percent growth pace in the first half. If you look outside of China and Russia, EM growth is, we think, uh, going to grow about three and a half percent in the first half. So that's an above potential pace of growth. Now, much of this resilience, uh, we believe, has to do with uh, the health of the private sector. Uh, We think that the EM private sector is effectively uh, mirroring what we're seeing in the DM which is that they are drawing down on their sizable stock of excess savings that they've built up during the pandemic. Uh, We've been particularly surprised uh, to the upside by the resilience we've seen in emerging Europe, uh, despite its proximity to the war in Ukraine, you know, soaring natural gas prices, uh, the hit to confidence growth there has actually held up very strongly. And, you know, that's been supported in part by EU fund transfers, but also you know, strong labor market recoveries that have underpinned consumer spending. So both investment of, and consumption have been extremely strong. Uh, EM Asia outside of China has also been uh, pretty resilient here. We've seen relatively limited spillovers from China's lockdown. So China itself, we have contracting uh, in the second quarter uh, quite sharply, but the rest of EM Asia is holding up. And they're benefiting from a reopening uh, bound as their Omicron uh, drag fades, that region is uh, shifting to an endemic equilibrium that's boosting, boosting service sector activity. So those are the main reasons. And on top of that, actually, in the especially in the first quarter, we've seen uh, pretty strong support also from DM import demand. Um, so that's, that's, that's been the explanation for the resilience so far. And do you think that this resilience can continue in the second half of the year? And what would you say are the key risks for the EM growth outlook? 
Yeah, so m much of the second half outlook, I think, uh, hinges on this um, kind of tug of war, as we've described it, between the still high level of uh, excess private sector savings, which can be drawn down further to cushion shocks. And on the other hand, the ongoing tightening in monetary conditions, which are, are going to drag on growth. Now, while a sharp slowing in U.S. growth, I think, is uh, currently dominating the, the debate on global growth risk, there are two positive developments taking hold elsewhere. Uh, we have the COVID drags that are beginning to fade uh, in, in China. Lockdowns are lifting, at least for the time being. Uh, mobility in Asia is generally moving higher. And on top of that, we are seeing fiscal policy stepping up to cushion the drags on households from higher inflation. Now, the rebound in China's activity and uh, the reopening of the service sector in the rest of Asia, we think will lift overall EM growth to about four, four and a half percent in the second half. So that's a pretty strong rebound. Now, for the rest of EM, again, if we, we take China out of it and we take Russia out of it, you know, they should be growing more or less in line with trend around two and a half percent. So that's still pretty decent given, given all these shocks. EM Europe and LATAM, we, we do have slowing down on the back of tightening in monetary conditions and the softening in, uh, in US demand. And of course, in LATAM, we also have political uncertainty that is continuing to linger there in Brazil, Chile, Colombia. So LATAM as a whole, we see stalling. So that's going to be the underperforming region. Finally, I'd say that the, uh, there's quite a lot of uncertainty on China's recovery. So we have a strong recovery in the forecast, but I would say as long as the government sticks to its zero COVID policy and the policy stimulus is quite modest, there is of course a risk there that we see you know, cases re-emerging uh, on the back of reopening and we kind of get this stop-start pattern to, to activity uh, in the second half. So switching to markets, uh, Nora has highlighted the macro contours of, for emerging markets in the second half of the year. How do you look at the EM investment environment and what other cyclical forces are likely to impact the asset class? Yeah, so I think the way we're looking at it is, is that the second half of the year is likely to continue uh, as unfinished business from the first half. So let me try and explain about those cyclical pressures and, and, and how EM uh, will continue to be affected. I, I guess the difference in the investment environment in this cycle is inflation. This is persistently high at the moment, as Nora has alluded to. Uh, obviously, supply shocks are part of that, but there is a demand component too. Developed market unemployment's at 50-year lows. Emerging market uh, unemployment is at, at some multi-decade lows as well. Um, we saw this in the US on, on Friday with an upside surprise in inflation again. And, and, and wages are rising fast and inflation expectations are rising fast. So the Fed and other central banks are, are, have to be and are squarely focused on this inflation control. And so uh, the forecasts for rate hikes have kept rising um, for the first six months of this year. Um, and uh, what we've seen now is the market starting to price U.S. real yields, for example, uh, the 10-year point starting to move a lot higher uh, in the second quarter as the market thinks the Fed's really going to have to start tightening financial conditions here. Actually, we saw a move equivalent to the taper tantrum in over the April period in terms of size, and that is usually uh, a bad uh, 
driver for emerging markets. So this means that uh, global liquidity conditions are, have been tightening and, and the likelihood is they will continue to do so. And how does this pose a problem for EM in your view? So if you think that financial conditions have been tightening but still need to tighten more, this generally, if you look at the way EM risk premia correlates with things like US financial conditions, uh, they are well related over time. Uh, we will start and already are focusing for EM credit on debt service, deficit funding, um, external borrowing in some countries, although maybe not as, as big a problem as it has been in the past. Uh, for EM rates markets, obviously, as global rates go higher, EM rates will also go higher. There's a domestic inflation component and, and risk premium needed in those bond curves. Uh, and for FX, you know, really, its focus has been mostly on, on uh, the flow environment, capital accounts, but also in some places, there is some um, deterioration in current accounts, uh, in, in particularly in, in commodity importers. Are we seeing any of this uh, impact of the tightening of financial conditions already in EM? Yeah, so one thing that we've often looked at is if you just try and relate over time flows into emerging market funds with central bank balance sheets that has a quite um, persistent relationship. We've been using that, that as a kind of schematic chart since the taper tantrum. Um, and what that should be telling us, and actually the turning point in central bank balance sheets, which are no longer increasing as quickly and actually going to start decreasing, is telling us that we should be expecting outflows. And in fact, we have seen uh, meaningful outflows already this year from emerging market bond funds. So we are starting to see some of those mechanisms through which this financial conditions tightening coming through. Uh, another thing to look at is issuance. Uh, if you look, you know, we, we talk about issuance as a positive technical, and, and certainly in the short term it can be that. But the reason why issuance is low at the moment is because financing conditions are more difficult and countries are, are finding that actually access to markets is, is not as easy at the moment. It sounds like uh, EM sovereign credit uh, will have a specific challenges related to this uh, lack of market access you mentioned. Yeah, so it's a theme that we've been talking about in the first half of this year, that it, it's not that uh, local markets are, are going to be immune to this, um, but certainly in the taper tantrum period, when the last real global tightening in liquidity conditions, it was much more focused on local markets. But this time around, we may end up uh, focusing a bit more on the sovereign credit markets and, and credit markets more broadly. And, and that's because there was a lot of debt uh, that was... Uh, issued or borrowed by emerging markets when rates were low. And now that uh, financial conditions are tightening, both the cost of, of financing and the availability of financing is, is lower. So I think we, we may well transition uh, as we get through into the second half of the year, getting into an environment where more of those questions are being asked of, of sovereign credit markets. Nora, let's switch back to economic fundamentals to discuss, you know, the biggest issue of plaguing uh, the global economy these days, which is inflation. You know, inflation prints continue to come on the strong side. How do we see EM inflation dynamics evolving in the second half of the year? So, Luis, inflation is still soaring. Uh, the majority of countries that are uh, reporting the May CPI so far, we've seen this drumbeat of upward inflation surprises continue. Uh, outside of China, we see that EM uh, inflation is you know, perhaps tracking a slightly smaller month-on-month -month gain for the month of May. 
but we're still near 10% year on year. So these are really the highest inflation rates in, in several decades. In particular, we see very strong core inflation. So there's no let up in, in underlying inflation pressures. Now, we're expecting uh, inflation to rise, as I said, close to 10% uh, annualized this quarter. I think given the breadth of the gains and continued upward pressure on energy prices, I think the moderation that we're uh, forecasting in coming quarters is now to a level that's more than twice what we were expecting at the start of the year. So that kind of gives you a sense of how much we've been revising up. The stickiness of inflation, I think, also raises a question about EM's inflation problem proving to be more persistent. The shocks to inflation themselves, to you know, food prices, energy prices, output caps, they are becoming larger and more protracted. And this points to inflation kind of staying higher for longer and just settling above central bank targets for some time. And certainly we're not going to be returning to the pre-pandemic levels anytime soon. So you mentioned that we've been revising inflation up uh, repeatedly, but we've also, we've also been pushing out uh, uh, the expected peak. At this stage, when uh, should we expect the peak on EM inflation to, to be seen? Right. So uh, we still think third quarter will be the peak in, in EM inflation uh, in year-on-year -year terms, um, sort of August, September, perhaps. But I would say the timing uh, remains very difficult to, <laughs> to pin down. And we've been pushing that peak back, as you, as you said, uh, for some time now. Uh, we do expect commodity prices to ease in the second half, so that's still our base case. Uh, that should kickstart headline disinflation from the fourth quarter. But again, near-term risk to both food and energy are to the upside as I'm uh, kind of looking at the renews, renewed rise in crude oil prices. Then we have this uh, surge in refined oil product prices relative to crude oil, oil prices, so this crack spread, so that's an additional a risk that could pass through to logistics, transportation costs, and adding to EM's inflation uh, woes, of course, is also the renewed rise in agricultural commodity prices, which we have in the forecast for the third quarter, things like wheat and corn uh, from already elevated levels. Uh, so we think those shortages, supply shortages there will persist for some time uh, in grain and fertilizers and so on. Uh, so both food and energy prices, we think, are, are risks there are still to the upside. And also the transmission to consumer price inflation is not fully complete. So even the price increases we've seen to date haven't fully kind of percolated through into the inflation numbers. So third quarter peak, but again, risk is for higher and the later peak as well. Nora, one last question for you. Uh, EM central banks this time around uh, actually started hiking way before their DM counterparts. Uh, given the already advanced tightening cycles, some EM central banks at this stage seem to be displaying quote unquote hiking fatigue. Uh, how much uh, scope is there for additional monetary tightening across EM in your view? Well, I, I would say central banks would like to think that they're done, but we don't think they're done yet. Uh, they have, of course, as you say, delivered steep policy rate hikes for several quarters already. The, the monetary policy tightening cycles, especially in LATAM and Central Eastern Europe, are well ad advanced. Um, many of these central banks are seeing a waning of, of, of their appetite to hike rates aggressively further, especially as growth momentum is now starting to ease off a little bit uh, in, in our forecast that will continue. 
but again the issue is that inflation hasn't stabilized yet so i think that will preclude the end game in in, in the near term and the pressure to hike will will continue uh in 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 the near term now again our base case is that if inflation stabilizes in the third quarter you know by that point the fed we think will possibly downshift as well the pace of their hikes to 25 from 50. Uh, so at that point i think the central banks that have hiked very aggressively could move to the sidelines indeed we have half of the em central banks in our forecast reaching their terminal rates before the end of this year so we think that that for half of them they will have completed their cycles the, the remainder will of course keep hiking uh, into next year now among the the low yielders those that started hiking early again it's the central eastern european countries i think they're not at the end of their their cycles yet uh, em asia central banks as well they're still in the early uh, kind of phase of their more gradual hiking cycles, but the pressure on core inflation there is mounting uh, quite quickly. So they're going to remain under pressure to hike. Uh, for the high yielders, there's kind of a wider range of inflation and growth outcomes and in central bank policies. For that group, I would say they are perhaps most sensitive to further tightening in US financial conditions. So the, the rise in U.S. Treasury yields, dollar appreciation, historically, they've been important drivers of EM policy rates, especially for the high yielders and those where inflation credibility and expectations are not firmly anchored. So I think the tightening in U.S. financial conditions could further magnify the EM uh, response to, to high inflation. Johnny, back to you. Uh, given this uh outlook of uh, still an anchored inflation in EM and the likelihood of further monetary policy tightening. What is the investment outlook for EM fixed income for the second half of the year? Yeah, so I think generally, um, I, I think we should have a, a cautious stance, which is, is what we have, uh, starting with local uh, rates and effects. I think that they don't look cheap. Uh, actually, real yields, both uh, the front end sort of FX implied yields, but also in bonds, uh, have actually been moving lower for most of the year and are negative. So central banks uh, and uh, have been hiking, rates have been settling off, but actually not in keeping with inflation even. So uh, I think those are reasons to, to want to be um, um, more defensive overall and uh, uh, you know that, that may feed through also into to sovereign credit markets. Is there any role of uh, commodities here? Does that provide some offsets for, for EM as it did in the first half of the year? Yeah, so certainly one theme that we, we think is, you know, in places to want uh, that have a better outlook are, are those which are commodity exporters. Obviously, there are factors which are keeping, um, you know, oil, metals, food all high at the moment. Um, and certainly you can see it in in in. Uh, the way we think about some of the, the countries and currencies um, which will benefit uh, against that, some in Latin America, particularly some of the, the, the metals exporters there. Um, we, we also have, uh, when we think about sovereign credit markets, you see particularly some of the oil exporters probably are going to, to out, outperform in that environment. So certainly the commodities theme you know, has been a strong theme in our in our views in the first half, and probably will continue. Maybe slightly less of an, an impact, given how strong it was in the first half. But certainly, uh, it should be something which which differentiates countries. To wrap up, uh, Johnny, uh, any uh, sources of potential upside or downside surprises uh, that you're looking at for the second half of the year? So I think China probably remains a potential source of of upside. Um, I think the view has been that you know there will be a bounce 
back in in growth but that that actually the level of stimulus is is you know there but but somewhat modest and i think that if you saw uh, a much more significant um, stimulus effort coming from china and potentially um you know a very successful control of of covid um within their current policy but that allows the economy to bounce back much quicker i think that could be something which is um more meaningful and an upside surprise for markets i would say you know potentially it's probably a two-way risk around that as well because uh you know we'll, we, we've obviously been surprised at the downside in the first half of the year and i think as uh trying to control covid in this kind of way uh obviously could lead to stop start as well in the economy so uh, but but we could see uh, more upside there and if we see a peak in inflation as well globally and uh you know the feeling that this is starting to come under control it could give a better environment but but at the moment i think we we are looking at things more on the defensive side as as the tightening in, in financial conditions continues seems like uh, before we get some clarity uh, on EM and the EM outlook, we need to see on what the Fed intentions are, which will only come once the uh, inflation peaks in the US. And a similar story in emerging markets, we need to see inflation peaking before we feel comfortable that EM central banks don't need to keep chasing uh, the inflation story. Uh, Nora and Johnny, thank you so much for joining me in this podcast. And thank you all listeners uh, for joining us today. Please stay tuned for more episodes of, at any rate, JP Morgan's Global Research Podcast Series. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read JP Morgan's report related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2022, JP Morgan Chase & Company, All Right Reserved. This episode was recorded on Monday, June 13, 2022.